Hello and welcome to BCL Coast to Coast, the official podcast of the Basketball Champions League. My name is Austin Green. This week in the BCL, three teams qualified for the playoffs. That's Zaragoza, Dinamo Sassari, and Hapoel Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Besiktas and Halon continued their hot streaks, and Marcelino Huertas tied the single-game assist record with 17. Joining me to talk about all of that and much more this week is David Hein over in Germany. Dave, how are you doing this week? Uh, fantastic, and uh, we're looking for anybody who wants to make the playoffs. Looks like we're going to have to keep uh, waiting and waiting. Two more weeks and still loads of spots to be decided. Yeah, only three teams qualified this week. They join a few who made it last week. That would be uh, Tenerife, Nimburg, Dijon, and Turk Telecom are all in the playoffs. Uh, So with the three who made it this week, that means seven out of the 16 playoff spots are taken. Nine of those still up for grabs and only two game days remaining. So these last couple weeks are going to be very intense. Joining us on this week's show is Bryce Taylor from Broza Bomberg. Bryce and Bomberg are one of those teams trying to fight for a playoff spot. They're currently on the outside looking in of Group C. We talked to Bryce about that, his great career in Germany, and a lot more. So stay tuned for that coming up later in the show. Visit the official website, championsleague.basketball, for all the news and analysis and stats that you need to follow the league as we head toward the playoffs. You can read Igor Jerkovic's power rankings every week. Deacon Lloyd-Smith has been doing some great closer looks at some of these clubs. And Dave is doing the Homegrown series where he writes about some of the best young players in the BCL. Uh, Dave, what was your most recent homegrown article? Yeah, this week we did uh, Nelson Weidemann from from Broza Bumberg. He's actually, uh, like our guest this week, one of seven players to play for Albert Berlin, uh, Bayern Munich, and Broza Bumberg. Um, and uh, yeah, out, out injured right now, uh, but um, definitely has been showing a uh, a step up in his uh, in his development and coach Morris has given him more responsibility than maybe some people might have thought and he's been able to to perform pretty well cool all right so go to championsleague.basketball to check that out let's jump in with this week's episode starting it off with the team of the week for game day 12 leading it off we have Marcus Foster from Hapwell Halone he helped them get a very important victory over Manresa on the road, which we'll talk about more here in a minute. Vitor Benite from San Pablo Borgos helped them beat Ike and keep Borgos' playoff hopes alive. Daishan Pierre from Sassari helped his team qualify for the playoffs and continued his MVP case with his fifth double-double of the season. Emmanuel Terry from Bandirma was dunking on everybody. Uh, the, the human highlight reel, he makes Team of the Week once again for Bandirma after they beat Fecta in a very important game in Group B. And the MVP this week, Robin Benzing from Zaragoza, 32 points, eight three-pointers as he led Zaragoza to a blowout win over Dijon and the Spanish side qualified for the playoffs. Uh, Dave, what do you think about the Team of the Week and anybody who should have made it? Uh, yeah, Benzing was absolutely phenomenal. And, um, yeah, I, I think maybe, uh, Marcelino Huertos, uh, probably has a case. Um, and, uh, probably the other guy that I, you know, maybe Tyler Stone, uh, with the big, uh, Brindisi win over, over Pauk. Um, those are probably the, the two biggest names. Uh, I mean, Huertos probably will talk a little bit more later, but, uh, you got, you got anybody, uh, else who may, uh, may feel snubbed? I mean, those are five yeah. good choices. Those are five good choices, though. Yeah, I probably would have went with Huertas over Foster. Uh, Huertas tied the single season, or <clears throat> Huertas tied the single game assist record with seventeen. Uh, you would think that would be worthy of a team of the week spot. And also, Kyle Wilcher once again uh, snubbed from the team of the week. He's made it before, but he's had a few times where he was deserving but couldn't quite get on the list either. He had twenty three and seven as Turk Telecom Beto stand. But yeah, overall, a, a good team of the week. A lot of really good individual performances this week. Halon have not slammed the door shut. Here comes the Spanish club yet again, the three-pointer. 
All right, let's get into the group-by-group group breakdowns, starting it off with Unet Halone beating Manresa 67-65 to in Group A. This was Manresa's first home loss in the BCL. Halone built a 20-point lead and watched it all nearly vanish. Uh, they were up by 14 points with less than six minutes left. Manresa started getting to the free-throw line. Luke Nelson caught fire. Uh, in the in the fourth quarter to bring Manresa back into it. And Manresa, they cut the lead down to two. Marcus Foster hit a big shot. Danny Perez for Manresa responded with a layup to cut it back to two. So some good back-and-forth action there. And then credit to Joe Alexander for Halone. He played some great defense on a switch against Perez on a very key possession with about 30 seconds left to get a stop. And then Halone were up by two. There was a three-second difference between the shot clock and the game clock. Marcus Foster is bringing the ball up court. You could see TJ Klein uh, telling him to wait, to, to use as much time as they possibly could. Foster didn't listen. He launched a three-pointer with eight seconds left on the shot clock. Manresa had a chance to send the game to overtime or win it, but Perez couldn't find anybody in transition. Alexander did a good job again defensively, and Halone hung on for the win on the road. Dave, this is a, a Halone team that I thought was essentially out of it a few weeks ago. Uh, a lot of turmoil this season for that group as they've, as they've you know made some coaching changes. You talked to TJ Klein about that last week. But three straight wins now for the Israeli club. They are tied at, with Ostend at 6-6 six and six and just one game behind Manresa. Uh, what, what did you make of this game and how everything kind of sits in Group A right now? Um, you know, we, we, we've kind of said in the past, um, you know, how we, we kind of, you know, we, we can't follow all these games live. And, and you, know, you know, you go back and you see, you know, there's a 20-point lead with three and a half minutes left. But wait, it was only a two-point game. Uh, you know, how'd that happen? And, uh, yeah, I mean, Holon just couldn't hit anything at the end. You know, they had just the one foster jumper in the in the final 5-12. And uh, it turned out to be just enough. And, and uh, even, you know, Guy Panini with, uh, you know, you know is holding his arms up. No, as, as, as Foster takes the jumper. Um, yeah, just barely held on. And... Uh, um, you know, you look at free throws as well for, for, for Halone, 11 of 21, almost blew it. And, uh, you know, that would have been absolute tragic, uh, for their chances. Uh, but they're still alive, you know, you know, that's, if you can, if you can win three, four games in a row, uh, you're basically, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, almost guaranteed a chance to, to, to be in the, in the, in the playoff race at the end. I mean, look at Mornar until they lost, uh, this week they were, they were still in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so survival and, and barely one, just one basket in the final five minutes in a game in the sixties, usually, you know, you're not going to win many games like that. Yeah. Halone, hang on, uh, Manresa only shot 18% from the three point line in this game that, uh, that certainly helped Halone. So good defense on the perimeter as they hang on to get the win in Spain. Elsewhere in this group, Sasari, we mentioned, qualify for the playoffs with an 88-83 win on the road at Strasbourg. Strasbourg are now eliminated from Group A with their ninth straight loss in all competitions. Turk Telecom, they beat Ostend 85-68. to And Leif Cabelis stay alive, beating Torun 85 to 81 on the road. Uh, Dave, any other thoughts on the rest of Group A? The fact that Tyrone in, in this in this day and age only shot 11 three pointers, I thought was pretty amazing. Um, we had our crack crack staff look at the um, the 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 fewest number in a BCL game, and that was 10. It's happened on three occasions, um, and um, yeah, just four of 11 three pointers. Uh, like I said, in this day and age, is almost unheard of. And uh, Austin, uh, their run of three straight victories is uh, now over, and and uh, right there now in a in a fight for for the for the playoff spot. Now he goes off the dribble, and Terry with a big swat just throws it back in Simpson's face. Can they get the three? Just shot. Oh my goodness! Emmanuel Terry is taking this game over. 
That's awesome. All right, moving on to Group B. Let's start it off with Bandirma getting a super important win. They beat Rastafecta 82-70 to at home in Turkey. Both of these teams are now 6-6. Six and six. Bandirma currently in fourth place for the last playoff spot in Group B. Fecta right behind them in fifth. Bandirma started this game great. They jumped out to a 9-0 lead. They held Fecta scoreless for the first three and a half minutes. Great energy from the Turkish club to start this game. They led most of the way. Uh, Fecta were able to cut the lead down to two points early in the fourth quarter. But Bandirma were able to close it out. Reed van Unsel did a great job of penetrating and kicking in the fourth quarter, finding some shooters. Tyler Kalinowski, Jamie Smith, those guys hit big shots. Uh, Ian Hummer had a, had a really good game for Bandirma. But of course, with Bandirma, it all it all kind of starts and ends with Emmanuel Terry. He was an absolute monster in this game. 24 points, 14 rebounds. Six of those were on the offensive end. He had the play of the year where he swatted Travis Simpson at the rim, gave the Dikembe Mutombo finger wag, and then ran down to the other end and uh, had a sick putback dunk like right after he blocked Simpson a uh, really incredible play from Terry and and one thing about Terry we know he's super athletic he finishes alley-oops he makes these great hustle plays but he also showed some really good skill in this game with you know some good jump hooks his footwork in the post was really good had some nice passes uh, so he's a he's a very complete player and if I was a playoff team I, I think I would want to avoid this this Bandirma club right now I would want nothing to do with Emmanuel Terry uh, Dave, what, what was your uh, what were your thoughts on this game with Bandirma getting the big win over Fecta? You know, you mentioned uh, Halone was a team that basically looked out of it. You know, Bandirma, you know, in in this group, uh, you know, Anvil before they started their current losing streak, you know, um, they looked just as out of it, and you know now they're actually on the inside looking out, um, and uh, with three wins in their last four games. Uh, you you look on you look at the points off turnovers twenty five eight a huge advantage and that rebounding advantage with forty five thirty one obviously um, uh, Emmanuel Terry playing a huge role in that fourteen rebounds six of them on the offensive glass um, yeah just you know it's a team that uh, you, sometimes you look at the team and you see all these young Turks and you're like how is this team able to survive that and they've gotten some fantastic play from from their veterans off the bench with those kids who have been able to perform and then that that great lineup of uh of you know Terry and and Hummer and Smith has just been you know it's it's a, it's really a, a uh and I think there was the one game earlier this season where they the starters scored all their points except four points in the game so uh you know just a, a dynamic uh, group of players and uh I, like you said it I don't want to play this team in the uh in the in the, in the playoffs yeah Terry's kind of reminding me of Vince Hunter last year with Ike where he's just so dominant with his energy and his athleticism and his activity and uh yeah that's that's a guy who is not easy to play against you have you have your hands full every single possession um so yeah I, w- I would want to avoid this Bandirma team but pretty much everybody in group B is is dangerous so it's going to be a tough draw for uh, for whoever has to go up against some of these group B teams all right so we mentioned that those two teams are now tied at 6-6. Six and six. Elsewhere in this group, Antwerp beat Anvil 99-87. to Antwerp led by 15 points in the third quarter. Anvil uh, cut the lead down to four but couldn't quite overcome that as they lose on the road in Belgium. Hapoel Jerusalem qualified for the playoffs with a 22-point win over Poe Ortez. Shelvin Mack with 22 in his debut for Jerusalem. And Borgos beat Ike 93-76. to That's three straight losses now for Ike in the BCL. Uh, Dave, Ike are 7-5. and five. They have two more games. They are facing Fecta, who they lost to by four points in the first game. And they are playing Anvil in the final game of the season, who they only beat by two the first time around. And that was with Howard St. Ruse in the picture. Uh, looking at looking at this group B, are Ike in danger of missing the playoffs? I mean, anytime you lose three in a row, you're also in danger of of losing it. And yeah, I mean, talk about a 
an entirely different picture uh, than just two, three weeks ago. Um, you know, and then and then Lankford goes down. He played only five, uh, he didn't even play six minutes, and then came up uh, came up with a with a bum right hamstring. Uh, didn't take a shot in 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 six minutes of of action. Uh, if he's gone, you know, they brought in Nico Cesis. Uh, but is he going to be able to, to, to bring him to the, the promised land? Uh, you know, that's, this is, especially if Langford don't play, this is, looks like an, uh, an unbelievably different team, uh, without those two guys. So the question was, are they in danger of, mi- of missing the playoffs? They're in danger. Whether, I mean, it, a lot of things have to happen for them not to. Uh, and I don't think all of those things will happen, but there is danger there. All right, and then any thoughts on the rest of Group B? Uh, how about the the new guys at Jerusalem? Mac with twenty two in his debut, John Holland with eighteen. Uh, in, any other final thoughts on uh, Jerusalem or Antwerp or any any of these other games? Yeah, I mean you do mention them. I mean they they combined for for forty points and they hit uh, uh, eight of eleven threes. You know, and these you know this is a these are two you know brand new guys. Uh, the rich get richer. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just yeah, impressive. And I mean, big loss by Anvil. Uh, you know, that's a, that's that's a win you really have to go get. Um, uh, you know, even the, even though it's on the road, but you need to go. You need to go and get that uh, that vic- that victory uh, in uh, in Belgium. All right, moving on to Group C. We will talk about the Bomber game a little bit later with Bryce Taylor. They beat Riga ninety-one to fifty-three. To keep their playoff hopes alive, uh, Dave, let's give a little little shout out here to Peristeri. Took care of business at home against Mornar Bar. It wasn't uh, wasn't always the prettiest game, but they jumped out to a big lead early. Held on. Uh, Yannick Marrero with 16 points in that game to lead Peristeri. Uh, what, what have you thought about the Greek club recently? And you know, looking at the Group C playoff picture, it's Nizhny. And Peristeri in third and fourth at seven and five. Bomberg just behind them at six and six. Uh, what what are your thoughts on Group C and and those teams in that mix right there? Well, I mean, Nimberg probably picked the worst time to go uh, again. Uh, Nizhny picked the worst time to go against Nimberg when Nimberg is just playing fantastic ball. Uh, you know, they only they only scored uh, they only scored uh, six points in the third quarter. And they had a 12 point lead in that fourth quarter, uh, in the third, in the second quarter. And, um, and Nimbrook was playing without Michael Dixon. So, uh, you know, big victory for them. You know, we, we kind of talked about Nimbrook being, uh, that Dixon kind of being like a calming influence for them. Uh, and yet, uh, they go without uh, Dixon and, and, and grab the, the victory. Uh, Peristeri, yeah, I mean, you know, we we you know it's a huge game coming up against Bomberg. Uh, you mean you'd almost have to think the winner of that game or the loser of that game is almost eliminated. They're probably not math mathematically eliminated, but uh, you, you know, a Peristeri would have uh, Bomberg would have a two game advantage uh, over uh, over uh, would have a uh, the tiebreaker over Peristeri. So yeah, it's. Uh, you know, just like the other groups now, you know, this is, uh, you know, three, four teams, you know, uh, going at it and uh, for for just the final spots. Yeah. And then also keep an eye at the top of this group. Tenerife and Nimbrick are tied right now with 10 wins, two losses. Tenerife hold the tiebreaker advantage. Uh, but if Nimbrick can sneak ahead of them, that could have potentially very big implications if, if Nimbrick are able to steal first place. From Tenerife, Tenerife beat Ghazi and Tep this week, eighty-eight to sixty-five. Uh, Dave, any any other thoughts on Group C? Uh, just uh, Aaron White uh, in his debut, uh, twelve points, uh, five rebounds and assists, two turnovers in sixteen minutes in his first game, and it just um, it's it's so weird seeing a seventeen by the assist column for Huertas. That was really weird seeing that. Four seconds left, the three-pointer to win it, yes! Tyler Stone! 
All right, and the last group, Group D, which is still in a state of chaos, uh, even though Dijon and, and Zaragoza have now qualified for the playoffs. Let's start it off with Besiktas beating Falco on the road, 83-79. to 79. Uh, And, you know, talking about teams that we thought were, were dead, uh, Besiktas lost Jordan Theodore, James Michael McAdoo, a, a very well-regarded head coach, and they just keep on winning. Uh, they've they've turned their season around with three wins now. They are six and six and in fourth place in Group D. They were losing by twelve points early in this game, uh, but stormed back. Uh, the Turkish guys were were fantastic. Gayek and Yildizli and um, Juricic, who's Montenegrin. He only had four points, but they were very big buckets in the fourth quarter. Shaquille McKissick uh, was phenomenal again with his athleticism, his ability to get to the rim and finish was huge for Besiktas. Uh, Dave, what did you think about the Istanbul side snatching this win on the road and uh, sending Falco into a three-way tie with a few other teams at five and seven? Uh, you know, this is what we have been talking about on both sides. You know, you lose three in a row and, and you're, you know, almost out of the playoffs and you win three in a row and you're right there in the playoffs. And that's the, the exact case for both of these teams. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, one guy you didn't mention was Akpinar. You know, is having a really, yeah. I think, you know, he's been probably one of the bi- biggest beneficiaries. You knew McKissick would step up, but Akpinar, uh, who had the big, uh, f- uh, the big game winner, um, against, against Bonn, uh, you know, 17 points, had four threes, you know, he's really stepped up the, the German international. Yeah. Akpinar was fantastic elsewhere in this group. Brindisi beat Pauk 93 to 91. Brindisi, they won back to back overtime games in Italy. And then they win this one, uh, very close to the buzzer. Tyler Stone with the game winning three pointer with, uh, just over one second left his second game winner of the season. So a big win for Brindisi as they stay alive. Neptunus beat Bonn 93 to 68. Neptunus had four straight losses in all competitions coming into this game. So a huge win for them as they stay alive. And I mentioned Zaragoza blowout Dijon 105 to 73. Dijon had already qualified for the playoffs. So this isn't uh, too devastating of a loss for them, but it does snap a nine game winning streak. Uh, Dave, any final thoughts on Group D? Pauk, four out of five losses. Uh, you know, they they won. They had that little winning streak there, and and things looked uh, okay. And since then, things have fallen apart. Uh, you mentioned Stone, huge, huge, huge th- uh, three to win it. Um, yeah, just uh, I'm I'm happy that we still have a little bit of chaos left in that uh, in, in the group. That's that's my main takeaway from from game day. Uh, game day 12 in uh, Group D. There'll be more in overtime. All right, so let's move it on to overtime. Five topics from the round, from around the league. First up, stat of the week. I'll go first with this one. My stat is 90. So Ike have now lost three consecutive games for the first time ever in the BCL. It's also the first time that they have allowed 90-plus points in consecutive games. They gave up 96 to Bandirma in game day 11, 93 this week to San Pablo Borgos. Probably not a coincidence that those two games were played without Howard Sanruz. Uh, so Ike really struggling on the defensive end without Sanruz. And yeah, they, they need to come up with some answers pretty quickly or they're going to be in trouble in Group B. Uh, what's your stat of the week, Dave? Uh, I'm going to go with five, and that is the number of of Bomberg players who scored in double digits. Uh, it's the first time that they've done that since game day four uh, against Mornauer. And uh, only once in the last seven games had they even had four players in double figures. And the last four BBL games as well, uh, they, they, uh, they're just not getting equal scoring. They even had just one player in double figures uh, in the, in the cup loss to, to Alba Berlin. So, um, getting some, some good scoring. I think, I think the, the Feveriga game was the exact perfect game, perfect timing for them to maybe save, maybe even save their season, uh, to, to kind of kickstart them. We'll see. 
Yeah, we'll see. Maybe that'll that'll give them some more uh, confidence and momentum going into these last two games. Next up, surprise of the week. I'm going to go with Zaragoza's annihilation of Dijon. Uh, I'm not exactly surprised that they won that game, given that Zaragoza was trying to qualify for the playoffs. Dijon have already made it, so maybe they were a little bit complacent and uh, you know taking taking a, a little bit of a break. But to to beat Dijon by 32 points in their home arenas is pretty incredible. So that was my surprise of the week. Uh, what do you got, Dave? I'm going to go with Burgos, um, especially since I actually made the argument that they wouldn't make the playoffs last week. <laughs> um, and then, and we know about Ike's problems, um, but uh, for them to be leading, uh, for them to win by 17 and then to be leading by as many as 23 in the first half and by 20 at, at the half against Ike, that surprised me. I, you know, I, I I still think Ike will make it, uh, but to see them lose by that much, uh, that did surprise me. All right, next topic. The most frustrating loss for the fans of that team. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Bond losing by 25 on the road at Neptunas. Bond would have qualified to the playoffs with a win in this game. They were going up against a Neptunas team. It was not in good form. They've lost a lot of games in a row. Uh, Bond have been very up and down in Champions League this season. So it's not super surprising that they didn't win this game. But if I was a fan of their team, I would be pretty frustrated to lose that game by 25 on the road when uh, when you have a playoff spot on the line. Uh, so that was my most frustrating loss. What do you have, Dave? Um, usually I would have a second one ready in case mine was taken. But I'm going to stick with this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... Um, Neptunas had lost their last five games, um, in the BBL, uh, in the BCL by an average of 16 points. Um, and Bonn had just snapped a five game losing streak in the, in the German BBL. And then they go and, and, and lose like this to, uh, to Neptunas. So, yep, that's what I got. All right. Next topic team currently outside the top four who will make the playoffs. Uh, this is this is a tough one. There's a lot of great playoff battles going on across the groups. Uh, I'm going to go with Bomberg in Group C. They're one game behind Peristeri. They play them next week. It's essentially an elimination game. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Bomberg to get that victory and sneak into the playoffs in Group C, even though they you know maybe haven't necessarily deserved that this season. But if they can close it out strong, uh, I'm going to go with Bomberg sneaking in there. Uh, Dave, who do you have for this one? I'm going to say Brindisi. Uh, that they 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 go play at Falco next week and finish off at home against Saragossa. Saragossa um, playing at home against Pauk and Dijon playing at Bonn. So I know this is a ra- long roundabout way, but I I I kind of think that Saragossa will have already clinched first place because they have the tiebreaker with Dijon. And Brindisi will be playing for their playoff lives. Um, so after after Brindisi win at at Falco, they will then probably also beat Saragossa to to get into the playoffs. All right. And the last topic: the team that has been eliminated, who we will miss the most this season. So the eliminated teams as of right now: Strasbourg, Torun, Mornar, Gaziantep, and Riga. And the ones who are not 100% eliminated, but uh, very close to being so, Antwerp, Poortes, and Pauk, but still a chance for those three clubs uh, to, to get in if, if some miracles happen. I'm going to go with Tarun for this one. They've, they've been fun to watch all season, super high scoring. Uh, we had Keith Hornsby on the first one of the first episodes of the season, and, uh, and Tarun have been fun to watch. As they, you know, give up a hundred points but score ninety or ninety-five, uh, and so yeah, they've they, they've been fun to watch this season. Uh, these other teams, I'm I'm not going to miss that much. Uh, Dave, what do you got for this one? Uh, I think I'm going to miss uh, every, you know, the next two weeks, the rest of the, you know, whatever. Questioning how we could all be wrong about Strasbourg. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, crazy, uh, crazy season for the French side. Uh, I think we both picked them for the final four, and they're one of the first teams eliminated. So not a great, uh, great look there. Yeah. 
All right, so that's going to do it for overtime. Coming up next, we have Dave's interview with Bryce Taylor, the veteran for Brosa Bomberg, who has seen it all in Germany. Dave talked to him about their big win over Riga, their upcoming matchup against Peristeri, and much more. So stay tuned for that. Dave and I will catch you on the other side of the interview to wrap things up. Rubit over to Rice. Taylor, another one. Yes, it is. So on the show this week, we have Bryce Taylor from Broza Bumberg. Uh, Bryce, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Um, yeah, Bumberg coming off a pretty dominant performance against Veveriga. Uh You guys won 90 91 uh, 53. Uh, maybe just kind of talk about, I guess, keys to the game, if you will. Yeah, I mean, coming in, we really needed that one. We had a tough stretch uh, here in the last few weeks, um, up and down, losing some close games. And it was important for us just to get, I mean, also just to keep our our hopes alive uh, to make the playoffs in the BCL. Um, so now, uh, yeah, the game against, it was important that we just came out and showed our continued growth as a team. It's a long season, but here, um, this was super important for us, so. Now we're looking forward to the game uh, next week against uh, Paris Day. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. Um, yeah. After a close first quarter, uh, you guys uh, outscored them by 36 the rest of the way. Maybe just kind of what changed the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean, um, we've been showing improvement over the over the last week or two. Uh, I thought we just defended super well. We were aggressive. Um, they have talented guys, Kurik, Medford. Thames, but I feel like we controlled their guards well, and then we got some stops, rebounded the ball, and then that allowed for us to get out in transition and get some easy baskets, which is something that we've been putting an emphasis on in the last couple of weeks, and just to get the ball moving and everybody get a chance to feel good and to knock some shots down, and yeah, it was it was a fun game. Everybody got a chance to get involved, and um, hopefully we can just build from that one. Um. You you kind of mentioned an up and down season uh, coming into this into this one. It had been I think ten of the last thirteen games you guys had lost. Obviously there was yep. also also the cup semifinals loss to uh, to to Alba. Um, why why do you think this team's been so inconsistent so far? Yeah, that's a t- that's a tough question, like multi layered. But I think that um, we're just a young team. And we have a lot of new guys. So I think nine of our 12 on roster are guys who came in this year. And we had some mid-season additions as well with Rick Novasan and now with Atkins, Darren Atkins. Atkins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it takes time. So we show, we have spurts where we play really good basketball, maybe like even throughout a game, uh, where we play 30, 35 minutes. And then for whatever reason, we have lapses where we struggle with our execution or we struggle to get stops. And... um at this level, you know how it is. All it takes is a few possessions, and that can change the game. So we're just looking to put more consistent product on the court. It's always cliche. You know, you want to play 40 minutes. Okay, it's probably not possible to play a perfect 40 minutes, but that's what we're striving for, just to have more consistency. And you see it within uh, individual games, and then you can also project it like on a game-to-game level as well. So we're just trying to get better, man. We, we have a really hard-working team. Um, everybody's really hungry and ambitious, and uh, we just have to continue to improve. One of the things I've been kind of saying all all season is that you guys can look really good, but you can also, in the same game, really in just a matter of minutes later, can look really bad. Um, yeah. Um, as 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 one of the veterans on this team who's really seen a lot, you know, what are you kind of telling the guys when the team is struggling? Yeah, that's what I try to bring to this team: just a steady veteran presence. Uh, I just come from a positive perspective so even in the in those moments where we're struggling we just have to stick to what we practice and what we work on on a day-to-day basis those habits that we have to continue to build so it's just execution it's setting you know details setting screens setting our men up taking good shots shooting the ball with confidence um, and then keeping a positive atmosphere around the team supporting one another uh, all the little intangibles lifting a guy up when he goes down to the ground or having an active bench. And, um, yeah, I just try to be positive and, and uh, 
try to lift my teammates up whenever we have those stretches where we're struggling a bit. Um, let's go back a little bit. Uh, you were you were born in uh, uh, Los Angeles area. Um, you know, one of the things we like to try to ask our, our interview partners is what the basketball scene was like growing up. Uh, how would you describe uh, uh, what you kind of experienced as a, as a youngster growing up? We'll get to your father in a couple yeah. of minutes, but obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, I was born in San Diego, but we moved, uh, we moved north to Los Angeles when I was eight years old. And then, I mean, the South, South, uh, Southern California basketball scene is just really, really a lot of talent. So it's high, highly competitive and, um, you just have to be really good to be able to separate yourself. So I played against a lot of great guys over the years. My group was like Jordan Farmar, Nick Young, Aaron Aflalo. Um, Jared Dudley was on my AAU team. Um, just a number of players, Gabe Pruitt. I mean, just a number of guys who went on to play in the NBA or played high level like Division One or play overseas. So, I mean, it brings the best out of you and it really forces you to like work on your game and to get better. So it, it was also a tremendous amount of fun. And I still keep in contact with a lot of those guys until today. Um, but yeah, growing up, man, it was just super competitive um, and a lot of talented players. Your father played NBA for uh, about 10 years there. Um, I know you you weren't born, uh, but and really didn't able, weren't able to experience it firsthand. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe some of your favorite memories of his that you, you know, maybe even still to this day, like to hear about. Yeah, I know. Well, okay. So like you said, I wasn't born, uh, yet while he was still playing, but as I got to a certain age where I could really like comprehend the fact that my dad was an NBA player, uh, he pulled out some like old, uh, VHR, uh, tapes and showed me like some highlights or just different, I mean, clips of his games. And then um, the first time I really was able to have a clearer picture of like who he was as a player and how much he was respected was when I went back to New Jersey where he was from. And he was like a local legend there. He was like a high school All-American and stayed local, went to Princeton University, had a great career there. Then he went early to the NBA in a time like in the 70s where that wasn't very common. He left after his junior year and then had a, had a nice career in the NBA. So just seeing the amount of respect and the way that people talked about him and the type of a player he was, it kind of just like woke me up or just opened my eyes to um, how great of a career and how talented of a player he was in his day. And and then as a, as a young boy, you know, when he was kind of going back and meeting some of his old teammates here and there and, you know, or yeah. you go to all-star weekend, you, you, you know, you get to meet, uh, you know, Dr. J, Julius Irving, uh, yeah. you know, Bill Walton, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, Kobe Bryant's father, Mike Bibby's father, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe which of those guys, uh, maybe left the biggest impression on you. I mean, Bill Walton just has that personality. <laughs> yeah. So like he, he makes you feel like he, you've known him your entire life. And then Dr. J was just like super cool, really down to earth, easy to talk to. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. Just being able to go through those experiences with my dad and feel like that was within reach for me as a player. Just that was always my dream as a youngster. And I think that came from being exposed to that world as a young person. And it just made it feel like it was realistic for me to become a professional basketball player. Uh, about, uh, I guess three and a half months ago, you became a father for the first time. Uh, maybe how are things going and, and how much do you hate going on road games uh, being away from from your your wife and and your baby girl Juniper. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been an amazing experience. Um, I always wanted to be a father, and now you know that came true. So just learning day by day, and it's great to see her growth on a daily and a weekly basis. Like you mentioned, it is tough uh, leaving and going on the road sometimes, but um, you know that's just a part of the responsibility uh, of my career. Um, but you know, we still FaceTime and, you know, she recognizes me and she's starting to recognize me as far as like on the FaceTime and stuff, but it's just been really a rewarding experience for us and super exciting. And yeah, man, it's, it's been awesome. You played one season with the, uh, Artland Dragons, which, uh, are located in, uh, Quackenbrook, Germany, population 1300, 13,500. Uh, for yeah. those who might not know, actually including myself, even though I've lived in Germany for so long and never did it, actually make it up to Artland. 
how small is Crockenbrook and maybe how crazy are are are, are they um, for basketball there? Yeah, it's pretty small. Our rookie year in Italy, I, I lived in uh, Monte Granaro, uh-huh. which is like a mountain town, similar population. So I was that was my first intro to European basketball experience. And then in, in Crockenbrook, it's like it's almost out of a movie with the architecture. And then we have like the little town center. You can pretty much get everywhere like by foot or by bike. So I actually would drive my bike to practice. It would take like five minutes to get there. People love basketball. There was a great support around the team. And um, it was great for me as well. I was at an age and at a period where I was really looking to take the next next step in my career. So I really had a chance to like spend a lot of time in the gym with the coaches there. Um, it, it was a rewarding experience playing there. And also the coaches have gone on to do well. And I built some great relationships during that year. So all, overall, it was a great experience. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit uh, uh, in your in your career. Maybe let's go to April twenty third, two thousand eighteen. You're 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 getting your German passport, uh, giving up your American passport. Maybe what kind of led to that decision? That I think you had been probably by that point nine seasons in the league now. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was um, um, something that I had my eye on from about like year six in Germany. You needed eight years consecutive in the country in order to have a chance to become a naturalized German citizen. But the the big thing was, was having to renounce the U.S. Mm-hmm. citizenship. And that was a, a long decision for me just, just to go back and forth on that. But finally, I came to the point where I felt like uh, I was just investing in myself, my career, and um, having the ability to live and work in the EU. Um, so I think it's been, it's been great just to... Uh, fully, fully embracing and um, just embodying living in Germany and, and being a German citizen. But I haven't really felt too much of a change because except when we travel out of the EU and then I get to come back with my German passport yeah, and yeah. passport control is real easy. <laughs> yeah. And the other guys have to wait and go through the longer line and I can just do the uh, electronic passport control process. So, no, I mean, it's been great. Uh, I was like I said, it was something that I had my eye on because I really felt comfortable and happy in this country. And the basketball community has been great to me here. And I've been able to build a career that I'm proud of. And I feel like I've been able to grow uh, within the basketball, um, the basketball community here as well, uh, along with the with the Bundesliga. So I think it's just been a, a unique opportunity that I just wanted to take advantage take advantage of and then there's also just for those who might not be aware you obviously don't count as a foreigner then uh on 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 german league rosters because you you have the german passport yeah um i I saw in an interview you you said uh some guys jump from country to country but i want it i want to leave something positive behind here in germany uh that people will remember later like other u.s guys before me whose careers are kind of like role models for me um, you know, you're talking about some of the, you know, really, I guess you can almost call them American legends here in German basketball, you know, Julius Jenkins, Emmanuel McElroy, Derek Allen, Chris Ensminger, Ricky Paulding, Quantes Robertson, even uh, Casey Jacobson. Um, you're in, you're in uh, season 11 here in Germany. What does it mean for you to, to be kind of getting to that sort of status? Yeah. I mean, I just take great pride in that. Uh, uh, nothing against guys who have taken that career path because at the end of the day, it's about um, you define what your career is to you, what's important to you. And that's being able to put away money for yourself and for your family. Um, and sometimes the, the year comes to an end and you have a better opportunity elsewhere, whether it could be a, an upgrade in money or an upgrade in situation, a higher level opportunity, maybe in Turkey, maybe in Israel, maybe wherever. Um, but for me, uh, I, I chose a different path. It wasn't like it was planned out beforehand, but that's just the way that things developed over time. And once I got to Bayern Munich, I really felt like I had found my home. And um, I really felt like I could just continue to build my career and eventually uh, leave a legacy behind me that I was proud of, just showing guys that there's a, a different route that you can take and a different way that you can build your career. And then, yeah, reflecting back, it's kind of crazy that I'm in year 12 now as a pro in my 11th season in Germany. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been easy. I've worked really hard to build uh, to build my career. And, um, you know, hopefully we can continue to uh, to get some more years out of this thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you uh, 
at Germany. I'm actually drawing a blank on when that actually was, but um, back back in the day, they said that they wanted to be the strongest domestic league uh, by 2020. Um, yeah. Obviously, they're not quite there. They didn't quite reach that goal. Um, but you've been here in Germany now since 2009, uh, and have been you know playing for some you know big clubs. We'll get to that as well. Maybe how would you how have you seen the development of the game in the country since uh, since you got Got there in 2009. Yeah. Well, I think overall, you've seen a lot of improvements in a lot of areas. For one, the fan support is great. So, like, virtually every game is sold out. So, the fans are highly engaged, and you can just see the fan interest um, increasing over time. Then you have the social media engagement. You have a website. You have Twitter. You have different ways to be able to draw that fan interest. Then you have um, more and more clubs which are investing more into their teams, which is going to draw like better players here. So like the quality of the players improving and has continued to improve. Uh, so you see um, just better players overall. You see Alba, you see Munich, you see uh, different teams playing in different European competitions. And uh, I would just say the overall quality of the players have, uh, has improved. Um, so uh, I think that's something that's, it's been it's been pretty pretty much consistent and i think yeah maybe in in 2020 maybe it's not the strongest domestic league in europe but i think that we're we're going in the right direction for sure yeah it's definitely getting there um you you uh you've won one german league crown uh in 2014 which was actually Bayern's first title in in nearly 50 years uh maybe how special was that for you and and then also for the club yeah, that was huge. That was an incredible experience for me. Uh, I think that was in my fifth or sixth year in Germany. And that's just something as a player, that's what you play for. You play to be a part of winning organizations and to be a part of a winning team. We had a great group that year uh, with Malcolm Delaney and Dion Thompson, John Bryant, um, a lot of different guys who had gone on, who have gone on to have great careers or had great careers up to that point. So that was just a special moment for me in my career where I was in at that phase of my career and as well as for the organization. As you've seen, Bayern Munich has continued to grow and continue to develop into one of the premier basketball clubs in Europe. And I think they're still not where they will be eventually, but it's been it's been cool to see the growth from that phase in like 2014 to where, where Bayern has um, developed into now. I think everybody knew that it was coming, but you have to have you have to hit certain goals to be able to turn that uh, bring that to fruition. So yeah, that meant a lot for myself and that meant a lot for the organization at the time. And and then actually your last two years at Bayern you were captain, uh maybe biggest thing you learned from from that role and and how you wanted to um you know act as as the captain. Yeah, I just that helped me with my leadership skills and kind of just living what you preach or like practicing what I preached. And I've always been more of a quiet person. I try to lead by example, kind of in the background, just do my thing and, and the way that I live my life outside of the court. But that made me be more of a vocal leader and just be more present and uh, put a more put more of a focus on how I could help others while also focusing on my performance at the same time. So I feel like I learned a lot from that experience that I carry into my like day-to-day leadership and my day-to-day uh, role on this team as well. All right, quiz time. You're one of seven players who have played for the three big Bs in German basketball: Alba Berlin, Bayern Munich, and 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 Bamberg. How many of them can yeah. you? How many of them can you name? Man, off the top, I know two: Steph Hamann and uh, Demond Green. Yep. Uh, Five more. Uh, Munich. Munich. Okay. Damn. Okay, okay, Greasy, Steph Hamann. Man, that's tough. Actually, you have four more. Okay, nah. Four more? Okay, four more. Are they... You give me any clues? Um, <laughs> you probably played with them. German? Yeah. You okay, know you uh, know, you know, them all. Yasin. Yasin and yep, Vicky. Yep, right? Yeah. And uh, Lucas Steiger. Yeah. You got two more. Yasin and Lucas one of them you can get, uh, the other one you might not realize. <laughs> oh man! Oh, the one, the other, the other one. He's still, at, he's still at, at Bayern. The other one, still at Bayern. 
Leon. Not. Oh yeah, Leon Radosevich. Yeah. And the other one, I, I don't know. Nelson. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. Okay, Nelson Vitamin. Yeah, because he okay grew, cool. he grew up in the Berlin system and. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I got four. I got four. I'll, I'll take four of those. <laughs> four out of six. Yeah. Um, Not and bad. you and you actually even played for another B with Bond. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but, but maybe going back to the, to the big B's, obviously those are, you know, three really institutions in, in German basketball, maybe compare and contrast them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alba was the like premier club when I came to Germany in 2008, 2009 or 2009, 2010, excuse me. And yeah, that's just like a staple of German basketball synonymous with excellence and success, consistency a great infrastructure within the organization, capital city. Um, and then it's been, it's been great to see what they've been able to develop over the past years. I love the way that they play from a basketball standpoint with their coach and with the, the, the players who seem to just continue to get better and play with more and more confidence. I think that's been, uh, been amazing to see. Uh, Munich is unique in the sense that it has the FC Bayern brand behind it. But what Marco Pezic has been able to establish in his own right, I think, having a lot to do with initially with um, with coach with coach Svetislav Pezic is really establishing an identity, the style of play, and then having the big ambition to become you know one of the premier uh, Euroleague clubs. Eventually, I think they're they're well on their way. And then Bamberg is different because you have small town. Um, there's only basketball here. And you have, well, not small, but let's say, what, 70, 75,000 people uh, who live here. And uh, you just have the tradition in the last 10 to 15 years where Bamberg has always been present, the different eras between Fleming and Trincari. But you, one thing that's been synonymous is just, like, the general support of the fan base and how much people really care. Like, people genuinely care about basketball here and about, like, the results. And um, that's something that you feel being a part of it. So all great, all great clubs, all great organizations with different histories, Bayern relatively new, other two more established, but I think all great places to play uh, as a player. Uh, we like to, we like to take um, qu some questions from fans on, on Twitter, uh, on, on Instagram. And uh, the one we picked this week was from um, Yannick Steiger 10. Uh <laughs> Who is who is the best three point shooter you ever played with? <laughs> that's easy because that's his brother. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, Lucas Steiger, we played together in all three places, like you mentioned, in Berlin, in Bayern Munich, and in Brose Bamberg. Yeah, he was incredible. We talk about him all the time. I'm still really close with him. We were roommates over the years on the road. But that's a guy who could sit on the bench for twenty, thirty minutes. Mm -hmm. You put him in the game, and like a microwave, he would just heat up. He could hit four or five, six threes. And that's a really, really unique skill because as a shooter, you know, I feel like I need a little bit of time and rhythm to, to where I, I shoot the ball on that level. But with Luca, it could go from one, one, you know, like from the bench to the game, like I said, and he can just uh, get super hot. So, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely the best shooter that I ever played with. For sure. um, take us back to November 18th, uh, 2018. Um, you came back and played for Bamberg after 350 days out uh, with an Achilles uh, maybe. And actually that was the same injury that your father, that basically ended your, your father's career when he was 28. Um, thoughts uh, that maybe just what we're going, was going through your mind, you know, knowing that, that, that is the injury that, you know, that ended your father's career and, and you almost missed an entire uh, year with that and, and what it was like getting back out on the court. Yeah, it was tough. It was, you know, for any player, whenever you have, like, the two injuries you never want to have is, like, ACL or Achilles rupture. So when it was established that that was my injury, obviously it was tough mentally, a little bit deflating. But at the same time, you know, I knew I would be back. It was just a matter of time. So uh, working back, I had a lot of people that helped me along the way. I had a great rehab um, situation that I had set up for me. Um, and then that was in Regensburg and then um, at the Eden Reha. And then, yeah, I just took step by step. So it was tough. It was a long, arduous process. 
but in the end I was able to, to find my way back. But I definitely had thoughts. You have all type of thoughts, negative thoughts about could this be it? Could this be the end or whatever? But once I got out of that negative mindset and I just really locked in on, on my day by day improvement, then I knew, okay, I'll be back. So it was a great feeling, you know, to come back from that. And obviously it's been a process. I haven't been able to really, you know, regain some of the explosiveness um, as a leaper that I had before. That also could be attributed to the fact that I'm 33 years old. So <laughs> I think that was you know, that comes that, that comes regardless. But you just have to reinvent yourself. That's the one thing I've learned throughout this whole process. As an older player, um, after an injury, you just have to find ways to help the team. And whether that's as a leader, whether that's on a day-to-day basis, whether that's coming in and playing good defense or being ready to knock shots down or whatever in five minutes or in 20 minutes, um, that's what I've decided that I'm going to focus on. And I think that's um, going to continue to help me going forward. And and speaking on uh, speaking about uh, you know hitting hitting shots, um, obviously probably your uh, another high moment for you in your career was the BCL quarterfinals last season. Um, Bomber yeah. were down by twelve uh, in the fourth, and then you at Ike, and then you come and hit the the, the three threes in the fourth quarter, and then uh, Tyrese hits the floater, and you guys go to the final four. Uh, maybe where does that rank as far as your personal moments in in your career? No, that's up there for sure. Outside of, you know, the success, winning the cup in, in last year, winning the cup, the uh, German cup, and then winning the championship in 2014, qualifying for the final four in any European competition is a, is a big accomplishment. I mean, it doesn't happen so often. I've been playing Euro Cup, Euro League, or now BCL in all but one year of my career, and I didn't make it to the final four in any of those competitions. So that was a great moment for me and a great moment for our team, especially winning um, at the Oaxaca in a great hostile atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, I had been struggling the entire game and really didn't have anything going, but I was able to hit those three threes. And I think that helped us um, put that help, put us over the, put us over the hump. So, yeah, that was great. And at uh, Oregon, did you go to an elite eight maybe? Is that right? Yeah, at Oregon, we went to the Elite Eight. We won the conference championship. In yeah. So you just missed the NCAA. And we went to the Elite Eight. So you just missed the uh, NCAA Final Four. Yeah, we just missed the Final Four. Yeah. yeah. We lost to Florida with Joaquin Noah, Al Horford. Oh, and, yeah, uh, that, that, that great generation where they won two years in a row. Corey Brewer, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, Final Four then, uh, Antwerp last season. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there was the, you know, the disappointment, but uh, maybe just – you know what was it like playing the final four how do you how do you like to re- to remember what happened last season um uh, yeah i mean every, we were we were excited to be there i think uh obviously we didn't perform up to our capability as a team but i think nobody really played well that weekend to be honest except except for the winner except for uh versus bologna last year um so i think we didn't shoot the ball well we didn't we in general we just we kind of had a flat performance in the semifinal. But like I said, just um, having the opportunity to play on that stage in a competition that we were new to, that was our goal. We fell short of winning it, which was our ultimate goal. But I think we still were able to walk away with a sense of accomplishment just having made it to the Final Four. It was a little bit disappointing, to be honest. But uh, we still have to, you still have to keep things in perspective. And like I said, anytime you can make it to a, a semifinal of a European international competition, like that's still something that you can be proud of. Yeah, and to to get back to get back to this year, uh, you first have to make the playoffs. You guys are in a dogfight. Have a huge game uh, next week against Peristeri. You're actually uh, they're they're a game ahead of you, but you do have yeah. a three point win over them earlier this season. Uh, yeah. What do you have to do to get uh, to get the W? Yeah, it's gonna be tough. You know they play. Uh, well, they're a very experienced group. Like you said, we beat them at a close game here in here in um, Bros Arena in Bamberg. But, yeah, I think that's going to be a game where it's probably going to be a possession game. So we're going to have to take advantage of, first of all, defending and creating opportunities for us to get out and play and to attack and transition. And then uh, at the same time, valuing the ball and valuing every possession. I think that's going to be a playoff-type game, playoff atmosphere, because both teams want to have a chance to make the playoffs uh, in this competition so it's going to be tough but i think 
uh, I think we'll be ready. I think we'll be ready. I'm confident going into that game for sure. All right, fantastic. Over the years, been able to watch you in in plenty of different situations, and it's always a it's always a pleasure to chat. And it's been fun having you on the show. Thanks a lot. Uh, good luck th- uh, this next week in uh, uh, over in Greece, and uh, we'll definitely catch you down the road. All right, David. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Bryce Taylor for joining us on this week's show. Thanks to Luca Steiger's brother for submitting a question on Instagram. Uh, Dave, what did you think about your conversation with Bryce? Um, as I mentioned, it, I always enjoy having a chance to talk to him. He's always been a, a, a great guy. Um, one thing that, uh, and this actually kind of brings up another stat, you know, he, he mentioned that they're trying to get their, you know, they've been trying to trying to get easy baskets. And and their twenty two fast break points against against Riga were actually a BCL high, and um, and if you take away the Gaziantep twenty one points uh, uh, three games ago, uh, if you take those twenty one points away, they had been averaging seven point seven fast break points. So um, you know it's it it was probably very very relaxing to to get some easy points, especially because this team has been struggling to score points. But in general, um, you know, uh, a guy who's really seen so much in the game in Germany and really has identified uh, himself with Germany, and 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 you see that with him taking uh, the German passport and giving up his American passport. I mean, he had to in Germany. You're not allowed to have the American and, and German passport, and so he had to actually go through the process uh, of 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 giving it uh, of giving his American passport and going through the process of, of figuring out if that's what he wanted to do. So. Uh, a really, really nice guy uh, uh, for the game here in, in Germany. Yeah, yeah, that that says a lot about uh, his love for the country and his uh, his experiences there in Germany. And the the German basketball fans love him back. He's a uh, he's been great to watch o- over the last few years. Uh, last year, that explosion he had against Ike in the quarterfinals was pretty amazing. And and really cool to see after he had struggled with injuries for a while. So thanks again to Bryce for joining us on this week's show. Dave, let's look ahead to game day 13. Only two game days left in the regular season. These are all, you know, essentially playoff games for the teams who are still fighting for spots. So looking at Tuesday's schedule, we do, we just talked about Peristeri versus Bomberg being a huge game. In Greece, what else on Tuesday's schedule are you looking forward to? I think the other two that I'm really looking forward to are Falco against Brindisi in Group D. Both those guys are five and seven. Obviously, going to be a huge game for both teams. And then Group B with Anvil at five and seven, ben, uh, playing at home against Bandirma at six and six. You know, if Anvil wants to have any chance, they that's an absolute must. And Bandama can really go uh, take a, a step forward to the playoffs if they can grab that victory. Any, I know those are those are those are three uh, really important games. Uh, anything else you got on 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 your radar? Yeah, those ones are going to be awesome. Ostend versus Manresa in Group A is is going to be a really important game. So I would definitely recommend checking that one out on Tuesday. For Wednesday, not as many games with playoff implications. Uh, but the, the big one, Rastafecta versus Ike in Group B. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Fecta beat Ike by four points in Game Day 6. And this could have potentially huge implications on the uh, on the playoff picture in Group B. Uh, Dave, anything else from Wednesday that you're looking forward to? The big game in Group, the other big game in Group B, uh, Jerusalem hosting Burgos. Um, you know, Burgos is. Uh, uh, I mentioned that they, <laughs> again, I mentioned last week that they might miss the playoffs, and uh, you know, if they can snag this victory, you know, they could definitely take a higher spot in that group, uh, which obviously, in theory, gives them a easier draw in the in the playoffs. All right, so make sure you check that out on livebasketball.tv. Subscribe to that to watch all of these games live or on demand. Visit the official website, championsleague.basketball, to stay up to date on everything as we head closer to the playoffs. Follow the BCL on Twitter and Instagram, at BasketballCL. 
and check out the official Champions League YouTube page for all of the highlights. Dave, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Just enjoy the action. Uh, you know, we're down to the final two game days of the regular season, and 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 obviously so many games with with playoff uh, ramifications in, in them. So. Um, yeah, uh, for those and for those teams that are that have been eliminated or are close to being eliminated, you know, obviously this is going to be your last chance, you know, to to see your teams play internationally before they can refocus their energy on the domestic league. Yeah, it should be a great game day thirteen. A lot of playoff like atmospheres going on as these teams uh, fight to stay alive in the basketball Champions League. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to our guest, Bryce Taylor from Broza Bomberg, for joining us on this week's show. For David Hein over in Germany, my name is Austin Green, and this has been BCL Coast to Coast.